All right, so let's get into the message now. Uh, as you're probably aware, if you've been here for a while, we are going through a series uh, called Rooted, where we're studying the book of Romans. Uh, and it's, it's such a foundational book uh, for us to understand, to really understand the faith that we have in Christ. Uh, and so and the reason why we titled it Rooted is because it has so many foundational principles that we need to understand. It's like the roots of a tree that kind of dig deeper and deeper into the ground, and that's how the tree gets its nourishment, and that's how it gets its strength to grow taller. Uh, But unless you're a potato, the uh, evidence of the life or the purpose of the life that you're growing really happens above the surface, not below the surface. So you need those roots, uh, but When we transition from Romans 11 to 12, which was right at the beginning of May, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of pivots, and he transitions from this uh, foundational roots to the the above-the-surface type of topics for now that we have built this foundation, what do we do with it? So if you could put that next slide up, I kind of tried to summarize here. Below the surface, we had all these foundational truths that we were building on. God's righteous judgment, the fact that we are justified through faith, we can have new life in the Spirit, and salvation through Christ is available for all. So building on those roots, over the last four weeks we've looked at how do we know what God's will is for our life, how do we experience God's gifts that he has for us, how do we love others, whether they are in the church or whether they are mistreating us, Uh, and last week Pastor Paul covered how do we submit to authorities Uh, This week, we're going to continue with that theme of what does life look like above the surface based on these roots uh, that we're developing. Uh, And this morning, I've entitled my sermon, if we go to the next page, uh, Learning to Multiply in a World that Seeks to Divide. And yes, that was a dad joke. I I couldn't resist myself there. Um, But we are called as a church to multiply, right? Jesus gave us the Great Commission, uh, which said, go into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, just like we saw this morning, making disciples and baptizing them. But for some reason, in our human nature, we love to draw lines and stand on one side of it or the other. We just something in us that chooses to take sides, and we see this every day in our culture, right? Do you vote red or blue? Are you masks or no masks? Are you vaccines or no vaccines? Are you Ford or Chevy? Are you Coke or Pepsi? Some of them seem silly, but what about this one? This could seem silly, but oh, you're from Pennsylvania? Are you Eagles or Steelers? That could strike a chord, right? I've been to a couple Eagles-Steelers games, and I have to say, I was at a preseason game. So if you know anything about the NFL, preseason means nothing, right? And there were still fights in the stands, people throwing perfectly good cheesesteaks at each other. And, and, and I have to admit, I had one of those self-righteous experiences where I thought, those people take sports way too seriously. Well, I'll warn you, that should be a red flag. Whenever you start a sentence with the words, those people, you probably want to stop and check yourself. Because if you're a person, and you're probably a person... You may be more like those people than you care to admit. Fast forward a few years, uh, and my son Tommy is in Little League. And it's pretty cool the way they do it. They pick actual major league teams, and the kids have their uniforms, and they look like the professional baseball players. But the Little League had the audacity to put my son on the Yankees. (laughs) 
why is that even an option in southeastern Pennsylvania? But, but there he is on the Yankees, and I want to be a good father, right? I want to be supportive to my son. But every time I have to yell, let's go Yankees, I like throw up a little bit in my mouth, right? Because it just <laughs> feels unnatural to have to say that. And so I was convicted of, all right, you know, I was passing judgment, right, on those people at the football game, but we all have these natural tendencies to pick a side and to root for it so loyally. And loyalty is good as long as we're loyal to the right things. Um, But what we're really going to be looking at this morning is identifying those areas of division and doing what we can to rather than divide the church or divide our community, how do we multiply it and how do we follow that great commission that Jesus gave us before he went into heaven? Um, this division, you know, we, we talk about some, some modern day examples, uh, but all of these questions and, and these, you know, which side are you on have gone throughout time, back through the history of the church. If I look back at, at my years growing up and kind of the generations before me, there are all kinds of questions like, um, should Christians drink alcohol? Should Christians go to movies? Um, should, should there be drum sets in a church? Um, you know, should women wear makeup? Should women wear jewelry? All of these things, and they all started from an honest place of trying to be as pure and holy for God as they can be. So it all started with good intentions, but where things start to come off the rails is when you take that personal conviction for something that's, that's not a you know, fundamental root or, or fundamental um, foundation of truth, and you start to apply that to others and kind of project your own convictions onto them as a way to kind of judge their spirituality. And that's where the danger comes in. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 14, uh, where Pastor Paul, I'm sorry, not Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, <laughs> Pastor Paul's not, not that old. He's uh, not old enough to be around for Romans, where the Apostle Paul uh, is addressing this in the Roman church. So let me just give you a little bit of background uh, before we get into Romans chapter 14. Uh, Romans, the Roman church was made up of two different groups of people. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and each of them kind of brought their own baggage with them to the church. Who knows, we all come with some sort of personal baggage, right? Something that we bring from our own background. Uh, what the Jews were bringing to Christianity is they were wrestling and trying to understand the, the religious faith that they had in God, in Judaism, before Jesus. How much of that do they still carry with them into Christianity because it is the same God, and, and Jesus is the Messiah that God promised centuries ago. How much of that religion and of those rules do they carry with them into Christianity? And then on the other side, the Gentiles were wrestling in the other direction. They had all of their idols and their pagan worship and rituals and traditions. And what they were trying to figure out as they were stepping into Christianity is, how much of that do I need to let go and set aside? So you have two different groups of people, both trying to follow the same Savior, both trying to follow the same faith, but with very different backgrounds, and each of those backgrounds brought their own unique challenges that they were struggling with. Uh, And and like I said earlier, it's all, in both cases, rooted in good intention of trying to figure out how they're supposed to live in this life of faith. 
So what I'm going to do this morning, this, I've organized my message a little bit differently uh, than I've done some of the others. Uh, I'm not necessarily breaking the whole sermon into three points. I want to walk through all of chapter 14 with you together, and then we'll get into some practical application of it. Um, but there's a, a lot of really good messages and points that the Apostle Paul weaves into the chapter. And so think of me this morning as kind of like your tour guide through Romans chapter 14. So we're going to walk through it from beginning to end, but along the way there's some points that I want to stop and kind of point out to make sure that we're all kind of reading and understanding the message uh, that the Apostle Paul uh, is, is relaying to us through this chapter. Uh, so if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, again, we're going to be in Romans 14, uh, and it will be up on the screen. Uh, and if you would, uh, please join with me. I'm going to just uh, pray a moment uh, before we jump into the Scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you call each one of us to follow you, and you know our backgrounds, you know our struggles, uh, and despite all of that, you still choose to love us and to accept us. I pray that we would receive your word this morning with open hearts and open minds. Uh, and may we be able to see what it is you're calling us to do this morning. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's pick up in Romans chapter ver- uh, 14, starting in verse 1. Uh, so the first thing that the Apostle Paul says is, "...accept those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters." So there's two things that I want to point out in this verse. Uh, The first is those whose faith is weak. And so all that's trying to say there is not trying to put down anyone. It's really just trying to get at where that person is in their spiritual growth in their relationship with Christ. And so it was not a jab at the Jews or a jab at the Gentiles. As we'll see in the examples, both groups had areas where they were struggling and where they were trying to grow. But we need to look at each other and kind of recognize that everyone around us is struggling with something. And so before we are too critical of them, we need to understand what we're seeing might be something that they are weak in at this time. So we should accept those whose faith are weak. And then I also want to point out this next thing, because this is important, without quarreling over disputable matters. The fact that Paul... Uh, references certain matters as disputable implies that there are some matters that are indisputable. So we're not trying to say that there is no absolute truth and that everything is relative to your own convictions or to your own moral system. Uh, Paul spent the first 11 chapters of Romans building up this fundamental indisputable truth of the righteousness of God, the graciousness of God, the faith that we can have in Jesus Christ. Those are not the areas that we're talking about this morning. Those are things that are indisputable. We believe those are the foundations of our faith. What we're talking about this morning is those, I'm sorry, those disputable matters where it's not necessarily a matter of right or wrong, but it's more often a matter of your own individual conscience and your own uh, individual background. Uh, So if we can go to the uh, next chart, we're going to look at uh, Romans 2 through 4. So this is the first example that the Apostle Paul gives of an area uh, where the church is struggling a little bit. Uh, Most likely, this was an area that the Gentiles would have been struggling with. Excuse me. In their culture, they would, before they would eat meat, they would sacrifice that meat to their idols. And then the meat that had been offered to the idols would be sold 
uh, in the markets, and that would kind of be viewed as, as food that was blessed by that particular God. And so one of the things that the Gentiles were trying to figure out is, am I still allowed to eat this meat? Because when I used to eat the meat in my old life, it was honoring that idol. I'm not following that idol anymore. I'm following Christ. Am I allowed to eat this? So that was one of the things uh, that they were wrestling with. And what Paul says is, one's per- one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak, so they're still kind of developing, working through that, eats only vegetables. So the one who eats everything, so on this side, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the other one who does. God has accepted them. So no matter which side of an issue that you fall on, it is not your responsibility to try and apply your views or your convictions onto the other one or to judge their level of of Christianity or their level of holiness because God has already accepted them. You know, we, we learned in the beginning of Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? So we've all sinned. We're not saved because of our works. We're not saved based on whether or not we eat meat. God has already accepted us, and so we need to be um, gracious as people are kind of walking through that salvation, no matter which side of a particular issue you, you fall. And so Paul asks, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, that verse doesn't really resonate in our culture because we're not a culture that has servants. But what if I rephrased it this way and said, who are you to reprimand someone else's child in a grocery store? That'll strike a chord, right? God is our heavenly father, but he's also created the mama bears of the world, right? And if you mess with mama bear's cub, look out. There's, there can be trouble. And so what, what Paul is saying there is, each, each one of us in the church is a child of God. Who are you to come in and discipline that child on some of these matters? Let God, as you know, the Heavenly Father, let him deal with that and let him work with them as they grow through the areas where they're wrestling. Moving on to verse 5. Uh, All right, so now here is an area where, if we step on this side of the line again, this is where some of the Jews were were wrestling with. The Jews had the Sabbath, right, the seventh day of every week. They weren't allowed to do any work. Um, They also had all of these different holidays that God had put in place to help them remember things like the Passover and being uh, taken out of slavery in Egypt. So they had all of these holidays uh, and observances that they were trying to deal with how many of those carry forward into Christianity. And so Paul addresses that, uh, starting in verse 5. He says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So pause right there for a second. Fully convinced in their own mind. What he's trying to do is give you some room to, to... accept and to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if this is something that he is convicting you of at this moment, and if this is an area where he's working in you, don't wrestle that. Don't fight that. Don't wrestle against it. If, if this is what you believe you need to be doing right now, be fully convinced of that in your mind. And then it goes on in, in verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special 
does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. So verse 6, that's really the key there that kind of explains why is it okay that people have different convictions and, and different rules that they're kind of applied to themselves. It's because it gets down to the motive. Are they doing this because they feel like you know, these are the rules they need to follow to, to be saved? In, in which case, that's, that's the wrong motive, right? We've already learned that we are saved through the sacrifice Christ made. But if they're doing this as their way to honor God, then that's the right motive, whether it looks different in one person or another. If one person, they just can't get their minds around eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol because it brings back all the memories of when they were worshiping that idol, and they choose to honor God by not eating it, that is just as honoring to God as the person who looks at, at the meat and says, God, I know that an idol is nothing. And so whether or not this was sacrificed to a piece of wood makes no difference. I can eat this because you have made it clean and I am thanking you for this provision. Two very different actions on the outside, but driven by a common motive of doing what they believe they need to do to honor God. Uh, moving on to verse 7. And then here's where, where Paul kind of starts to sum up what he's been talking about in those first couple of examples. For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us die for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he may be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So this kind of takes some of the pressure off of us because we are not trying to earn our salvation by figuring out which actions are going to offend this righteous God and which actions are going to please him. What we're saying is Christ already died. It says, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that we could be his children. That part is already taken care of for us. So now we are not obeying God and trying to follow the right actions to earn God's love. We're following the right actions in response to God's love. So he has already loved us. He has already sacrificed for us. And so what we're doing, as long as we are doing it in a way that is unto him, that is our way of pleasing him, then we're doing this in the right motives. Whether we live or we die, we do it for the Lord because we belong to the Lord. Uh, Moving on to verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, and then this is quoting from the book of Isaiah, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in front of them. Now, when I first read this passage, I I think I, I only got half of the meaning of what it was trying to say here. It took me a couple times to really grasp the full breadth of what it was trying to say. But the first time I read it, I viewed it as, okay, 
it's, if I see a Christian brother or sister doing something that I don't agree with, it's not my job to judge them because God's going to judge them. Uh, which it does say that you know, everyone is going to stand before God someday and have to give an account for, uh, for their actions. But as I read it and, and reread it, I noticed that it says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves. And so just like that, that sports example that I gave you earlier, where I had been focused on how those people were acting, when I kept focus outward, I missed the opportunity I had to examine myself inwardly. And so if you reread this in the context of each of us will give an account to God, even ourselves, now we're going to be a little bit more careful, right? Because it says we need to stop passing judgment lest we put a stumbling block in front of someone else. So, you know, let's go back to the example of of eating meat or not eating meat. If you were on the side where you saw no issue with eating this meat because you didn't believe idols meant anything anyway, and you knew you had a brother or sister that really struggled with this, if you kind of flaunted that, you know, and at the, at the next church picnic, you brought a nice juicy steak and you're eating that in front of them, you're putting a stumbling block in front of them. This is an area that they're really struggling with. And here they see another Christian brother enjoying something that they're purposely trying to abstain from. It would be like, you know, if someone is trying to, if someone had been an alcoholic and they're, you know, been sober for X number of years now, and you're, you're sitting there next to them downing a beer in front of them, you know, what's that going to do to them? What kind of example is that going to set? Whether or not you believe the action is right or wrong, what are you doing to that brother or sister that you know struggles with that particular area? So, you know, be conscious of God's judgment, not just in the context of, don't worry, he's going to judge those people, but also in the context of, be careful, he also judges us, and we will need to give an account of our own actions and how we respond to the people around us. All right, uh, so now we move on to uh, verse 14. So uh, the, the first couple of, of uh, groups of verses that we looked at were dealing with Paul kind of explaining the, the different sides of two different arguments and, and kind of saying, you know, regardless of what side you're on, we should be treating each other with love and with grace. Now, in this section, he actually opens up a little bit and gives some insight into what is his view on one of these particular topics. Uh, so he says in, in verse 14, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So Paul admits, hey, in one of these situations, I, I am on one side of the line or another. I believe that it doesn't matter if this meat was sacrificed to idols or not. It is clean. So, yes, for those of you who think that, I agree with you. However, his love for everyone in the body of Christ was more important than what his personal view was on that topic. And so what he said is, if, if someone is going to be distressed over that, then if I'm eating it, even if I believe it's right, I'm not acting in love towards that person. So he goes on to say, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. 
Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So I kind of highlighted those last couple of words. Isn't that something that we would all love to be said about us? That person is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So it doesn't have to be one or another. God loves them, but everyone else, not so much, right? This is how, how can we, how can we please God and receive approval from humans? If, um, if you look at uh, in the Gospels, when it was talking about Jesus as he was growing up, it said he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So there's a balance there uh, in showing love, not just to God, not just to our Heavenly Father, but to the people around us in a way that, like Pastor Matt had preached a few weeks ago, in a way that makes our faith attractive to others. You know, as we model Christ, are we doing it in a way that makes other people want to draw closer to him? So basically what, what this boils down to is when you disagree, don't try to pick a fight. You know, it says don't, uh, don't destroy someone for whom Christ died, and don't let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. So if, if you know there's nothing wrong with eating that meat, but you know that it's going to rile up the person next to you, don't even give the opportunity to have that argument if, if you know that that's going to cause division and that's going to cause strife uh, within the, the particular church body. So that's kind of what we should not do. So what should we do? Moving on to verse 19. It says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Now, edification is, is one of those big church words. But basically what that just means is mutually building each other up and encouraging each other. So helping them grow in their faith uh, and doing it in, in a way that's peaceful. And so it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do that every single time and there's never going to be conflict. But what it says is make every effort to do this. You know, when Pastor Rob spoke a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, there's a verse in there that says, as much as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. So he acknowledges that, you know, it's not going to be perfect and there's going to be responses and situations beyond our control. But our job is to make every effort to do what leads to that peace and to mutually building each other up. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. That means we're called to love each other even more than we love bacon right? Before, not even, if, if it meant not eating meat to, to show love to our brother or sister, we need to be willing to do that. Moving on to uh, verse 22. And so here's where uh, Paul's wrapping the chapter up. He says, so whatever you believe about these things, keep them, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves But whoever has has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So basically, these two verses boil down to keep your personal relationship with God 
personal. There are times, and hear me here, I'm not, I'm not saying we never share our faith, but there are times and there are situations in these, what Paul calls disputable matters, where it is better to keep those personal convictions between us and God. And if, if it is something that you feel fully convicted of and convinced, don't try and talk yourself out of it at that moment. Follow that prompting. If there's something that God is saying, this is not for you right now, you need to set that aside. Even if others around you feel differently or are doing things a different way, you, you need to honor that because God is working something in your life and, and he's trying to, to do something there. So there are times where we need to just keep our personal relationship with God personal. So, you know, we've now gone through all of Romans 14. So taking it back to my title slide of uh, learning to multiply when the, in a world that seeks to divide, let's kind of apply what we just learned to this goal. So we talked plenty about how the world seeks to divide and divisions that can pop up in the world, in the community, in our church. But what does that have to do with multiplying? What does that have to do with the great commission of making disciples and baptizing them? Well, let me ask you this. When the church is a place of peace and of mutual edification, how attractive and inviting is that to the community around us? When the church is a place that has just as much arguing and fighting as the community outside of the church, is there any benefit to coming inside of here and choosing to spend your Sunday morning this way? No. But if, if we can kind of build this life that, that God has planted in us, you know, going back to that rooted analogy, if we can soak in all of the nutrients uh, from the roots that we have grounded into the scripture and we can let that flourish into the tree or the plant that God has created us to be, it will create such a welcoming environment uh, that this will be a place that people want to come and see what, what's different about these people. I want to be a those people now. You know, what's different about them? They've got something different here because there's a peace and there's a mutual building up of each other that I don't get anywhere else. And that's how the church grows. And I want you to be encouraged this morning that, that this is not a message that's trying to beat you down and say, stop being like the arguing people and start being like this. What I want to encourage you in is a lot of you are really good at this already. And that's why Bridge has grown so much over the years. I don't know how many times we've had guest speakers come in uh, and, and they'll relate to the pastors or to the elders. You have such a welcoming church. I feel so accepted here. And I'm looking out at the congregation now, and there are people sitting in the seats that weren't here a year ago, that weren't here two years ago. This is a sign that we're getting this right. We're not perfect. I'm not trying to say that everyone should just come be like Bridge and everything will be fine. There's going to be areas where we need to work, where we need to work on this. There's going to be areas where we need to set our own personal opinions aside but let's continue to do that. Let's continue to grow in that. And we can be this inviting, uh, attractive place that will draw people in. The, the mission of Bridge 
Uh, if, if you attend the, the huddle in the morning before service, you can probably say it from memory. Uh, but, but the missionary bridge is helping people thrive by finding and following Jesus. And so if we choose to thrive and we choose to set that as our culture and as our environment, that's going to be an inviting people, an inviting place that draws people in so that they can meet Jesus and they can learn uh, to thrive. But um, so... And uh, I have a verse, if we can switch to the next slide. Uh, in John chapter 13, uh, this is an instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples that kind of makes this point. This is how Jesus wants the church to be viewed. He says, but th- by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, you, you can tell an Eagles fan by wearing the Eagles shirt, right? Or the Steelers fan by wearing the Steelers shirt. This is how you should be able to recognize a Christian, not by what their shirt says, by are they living a life that's showing love to the other people in, in their body. This is, how, this is how the world is going to know that you are one of my disciples. But I'll admit, this can be really hard in our culture, especially, I think, in the American church, right? Because we have, we have rights, right? Our country was founded on the Declaration of Independence, and then we wrote the Constitution, and we added on the Bill of Rights, and we've got rights uh, that we should defend. And, and I, I totally agree that this is the best country you can live in. The, the rights that we have are like none other. Um, however, having the right to exercise a freedom means you also have the right at times to lay that down. And isn't that what we celebrate uh, this weekend on Memorial Day? Right? All of those soldiers that gave their lives for our country, they had just as many rights to live as we did, yet they chose to lay that down for the good of others. So just like you know, we honor our veterans on Memorial Day for what they do, laying down their rights for us as Americans, we need to follow that same model, and there are times where we need to choose to lay down our own rights as an American Christian, as a, a member of the American church, for the good of those around us. And as Christians, obviously, we're supposed to be modeling our lives after Jesus, right? So if we go to the book of Philippians chapter 2, this is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi that kind of uh, uh, illustrates this point. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality God equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If anyone had the right to claim that they had rights, it would be Jesus, who was the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, and yet he chose to lay that kingship down, to come to earth, to give up his life, not just to die, but to die the most gruesome death uh, possible at that time and probably still today, so that we could benefit from that and so that we could become in relationship with the Father. And so that's the model that uh, that we try and follow. So... um, what I want to do now is kind of ask, you know, we've, I've given you a lot of information, and I, I apologize if I went through it quickly. There's a lot to cover there. But I want to kind of boil things down now 
Uh, and if we could put the, the next slide up. Uh, this is a scene from, from uh, one of my favorite movies, The Kid. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's really cute. You should, you should watch it sometime. But um, the, the, one of my favorite lines is after this kid is just getting a ton of information thrown at him, he says, but what do I do? And so this is the turning point in my sermon where I answer the question, all right, Andy, you told us a lot of stuff now, but what do I do? Well, let me, since I, I've been uh, trying to, to show that you know, this is something that we need to do inwardly, let me share with you um, another struggle that, that I've had and something that I've been working on as an example that, that hopefully helps you. Um, for those who have been close to me or have known me for a while, you've probably noticed that I tend to have a quick wit but a sharp tongue. And there are times where if that quick wit can land as a perfectly timed, good-natured joke, that's one of the best feelings in the world to me, when, when I can just kind of make, make the whole room laugh with, with just the perfectly timed uh, joke at, at just the right time. But there are other times, and maybe you've experienced this too, where the words are coming out of your mouth so fast that everything around you seems to be going in slow motion and you're trying to figure out what you can do to push those words back into your mouth. And it's like, when is your baby due, sir? And so there's there's times where I, I just need to learn to not say it. And so I've created for myself what I call my lipless law. And yes, that's another pun, my lipless law. And it says, not every thought in my head needs to be a word on my lips. <laughs> so I, I can't tell you how long it takes to master that, but if I ever do, I'll let you know, or maybe you'll just notice. Um, but, but anyway, so, so that's what I had to put in place for myself, the lipless law not every thought in my head needs to be a word on my lips. Maybe for you, that, that resonates. Maybe for you, it's something else. Maybe you're more uh, social media savvy than I am, and you need to tell yourself, not every thought in my head needs to be a post on my feed. Or maybe you're more action-oriented, and not every thought in my head needs to wind up being uh, an action of my hands. The point is, we need to be able to have this filter of grace. You know, as our mind thinks things that may be true, before you send it to your mouth, filter it through your heart, right, and ask, is this kind? Is this going to build peace? Is this going to build edification? Is this going to build the person up? Or is this just a jab that's going to make everyone else laugh, but that person is going to feel like dirt? And so you, you have to kind of put that filter there. So uh, what I've got, and the the worship team could come up and start to get set up. I've got um, three filters that I'd like you to consider as you either speak or tweet or post or whatever it is uh, where, where you need to apply these filters. But I have three filters that I want you to consider. The first is who can hear me? Now, my first draft of this sermon, I actually had this as who am I talking to? Uh, but I changed it not only because it was ending a sentence with a preposition, uh, but also because it's more that the English majors got that. <laughs> it's, more than, it's more than just the person you're talking to. It's also the people around you that can hear what you're saying. I call this the car chase effect. 
Um, if you've ever watched a movie or a TV show where there's a car chase, like, they're, you know, they're, they're speeding through the streets, and in the end, the good guy always catches the bad guy, and then the city is safe again, yet every fruit stand in a 12-block radius is utterly destroyed, and those two guys carrying the plate glass window are on workman's comp. And so, you know, you need to consider not just the person you're chasing, but who else is around me that can be affected by this? Do I know what their weaknesses are? Do I know where they're struggling? If I say this, am I going to set something off that's really going to offend them? So that first filter, before it comes out of your mouth, before it posts from your thumbs, who can hear me? Who's going to be able to read this? The next filter is, what is my relationship with them? There are times where it's okay to share your views even on these disputable topics. Uh, We saw in Romans 14, the Apostle Paul, he did say which side of the fence he was on for eating meat, right? He said he believes that nothing is impure that God has called pure. But he did it in the right context and in a group where he was already in relationship with them. He was already a spiritual leader uh, with them. He had said in Romans 1 that he was coming to see them. And he showed in Romans 16, which we'll get to in a few weeks, that he already has a relationship with so many of them. So there are times where it's okay to share your views and do it in love because that's part of how you build each other up and how you learn from each other. Uh, But it's not every time. There are times where there are people, you know, going back to that, that car chase example, there might be people who can overhear this conversation that you're not in that relationship with yet. You're not in that position where you can share openly with them. So keep that in mind as your second filter. Am I in a relationship? And am I doing this in a way that's going to foster this relationship and build up their own faith? Uh, And lastly, my third point is this. What am I trying to accomplish? if, If these words leave my mouth, if I hit post on this particular sentence, What was I trying to get out of it? Was I just trying to validate my own views by seeing how many people would like it and that way I know how many people are agreeing with me? Am I trying to project my own standards onto someone else or defend my own rights that I rightly have? Or am I looking at what Jesus called us to do, to do whatever we can to live in peace and edification Is this sentence that I'm about to speak or or text or whatever it might be something that is going to accomplish that goal? Is this, what what am I trying to do? Why why am I doing this in the first place? Uh, And so I think, you know, and I don't say you here, I say we. I think if we can learn to apply these three filters, it's going to uh, grow so much more in us. And I know it goes so contrary to what the world is, has been telling us lately where, you know, there's a big push for self-expression and be true to yourself. And, you know, if this is what you're thinking, that's what you should say. But here's the truth of it as Christians. Self-expression is not a fruit of the Spirit, but self-control is. So there are times where our self is really going to be our human nature And we are called to let the Holy Spirit check that and say, Andy, is that really what you want to say? Is that really what I would want you to say? And so we need that check and that balance, that self-control that only comes from the Holy Spirit.
In just a minute, uh, the worship team is going to lead us in a song uh, called Here as in Heaven. Uh, And it talks about how we need the Spirit of God to fall fresh on us and that we need His presence. Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit, everything that I just said to you could sound like more rules and more do's and don'ts. You should do this, you shouldn't do that. And, And it sounds really difficult. But here's the thing. We are, just like we sang in that very first song, welcoming the presence of Jesus. We're welcoming the Holy Spirit into our life. And that is what gives us the power. That is what gives us the conviction to live out this life of peace and of edification that he has called us to. It's not something we try and do on our own strength. So I don't know where you are this morning in your own spiritual walk. If you're a a non-believer and maybe this is your first experience in a church, you might be saying, Andy, this peace and mutual edification that you're talking about, that has not been my experience when I've been in churches. I've been hurt by people before that have called me Christians, that have called themselves Christians, uh, and there was nothing peaceful or edifying about it. Uh, If that's you this morning, can I say, I'm sorry? Uh, That happens. As I said, you know, even in my own examples, there are times where we say things and we wish we hadn't said them. We do things and we wish we hadn't done them. But please don't let your experience with imperfect people keep you from missing an opportunity to meet with the perfect God. We are all trying. We're all on that path to try and be more like Jesus. And if you've seen us mess up, I'm sorry we have messed up. But, but please don't let that distract you. Let, let, let yourself put that aside and just focus on a God who loved you so much that he chose to set aside his own kingship, his throne in heaven, and come down and walk the earth with, earth with us and sacrifice his life on the cross just so you could be in a relationship with him. And for those of you who are believers, hopefully you had a chance to reflect a little bit this morning as I was speaking and giving some of my own examples to reflect on, on your own life. And maybe there's an area where, where you struggle and, and you might need to, to refine things a bit. So as we sing this song, um, I'll, I'll come up in a little bit with, with some additional instruction. But as we sing this song, just take some time to either sing along with us uh, or just reflect and, and say, you know, where am I in this journey? Do I need to come uh, and start a relationship with Jesus? Do I need to grow my relationship with Jesus? Is there someone I've offended that I might need to go and, and apologize to? So I'm going to hand it over to the worship team. Like I said, I'll be back up in a couple of minutes with some additional instructions, but let's just take this time to reflect.